Hi, this is Pastor Rob Stone from Duns Creek Baptist Church. We want to thank you so much for listening to our weekly audio sermons podcast. Duns Creek Baptist Church is a community alive by grace and known by love. We long to be a force for good here in Putnam County, Florida. You can learn more about us on the web by visiting dunscreekbaptist.org or visit us any Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. for worship. Now please enjoy the message. Oh, well, we are in our third week of a sermon series called All Inclusive. And where we kind of landed last week is this beautiful place looking at the grace of Jesus. And that's where we've been the last two weeks. And that's really the arc of chapters 8, 9, and 10 of the book of Acts is this arc of this expansiveness. This idea that the grace of Jesus will go further than we ever imagined. In fact, we talked about this over the last two weeks, that the grace of Jesus will go further for you than you ever hoped it could, and it will go further for others than you ever thought it should. The grace of Jesus will go far enough to meet you right where you are and love you and redeem you and forgive you right there, and it will go even further. And so the grace of Jesus will go further sometimes than you think it should. And that's the miracle. That's the miracle of the grace of Jesus that we are fully loved. But what we've seen in the first two weeks in this sermon series and what we're going to see today and next week is this truth that is the overarching truth around these three chapters of Acts. And it's the overarching truth over where we have been this year. Not just that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive, and that is the simple, compelling, dynamic message of the church. Jesus is alive. But because Jesus is alive, it means that the grace of Jesus is alive, and the grace of Jesus is dynamic and moving. The grace of Jesus is going further than we ever imagined. Here's another way of saying it. The gospel of Jesus is relentlessly expansive. The gospel of Jesus is relentlessly expansive, meaning that the gospel of Jesus from day one has gone out, and it has gone out to all the corners of the globe, and it has gone out to people we never imagined it would go to. The first week of the sermon series, we saw how Philip after the church had been scattered, after Stephen's execution, the church is scattered to all the areas of the Roman world. The next thing we know, Philip is in Samaria bringing the, the word of God to Samaritans, and they're believing. And then he goes to an Ethiopian eunuch, and the Ethiopian eunuch is baptized. And last week, we saw how Saul of Tarsus, a, an enemy of the church, someone who was violently persecuting Christians, Saul comes to faith in Jesus. And when the disciples trip over this, when the disciples are going, no, I don't know if we can trust this. I don't know if God's grace can really cover him. Suddenly Barnabas, the son of encouragement, puts his arm around him and says, God, God's grace goes even this far. And so today, we're going to see how the grace of Jesus goes even further than that. As we look at part three, even the dead are raised. It's beginning in Acts chapter nine, starting in verse 32. This is what we see. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, 
He came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Ananias, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. Now we've talked about earlier in the book of Acts what it meant for people in this day and age, especially for Jewish believers. If you were a good, self-righteous Jewish believer, you believed that someone's physical illness was a result of their spiritual condition. And here's a guy who's been paralyzed for eight years. And so in the eyes of the good religious people of that place and time, here was someone who had been sinning for eight years. And Peter goes to him. Peter came to him. And he said to him, Ananias, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. Which, by the way, what a weird thing to start someone off on this brand new life they have, right? And I don't think it was that practical. I don't think it was him going, all right, well, hey, we want to make sure this Ananias guy starts off on the right foot, so rise and make your bed. What it actually means is during this place in time, you didn't have a home large enough where you had a bedroom and a bathroom and a kitchen and a living room and a family room. Or maybe you're one of those people like you've got a room where you and your family eat, but then you also have a formal dining room. Maybe you've got one of those houses. That's not what homes were like in the first century. And so you would literally have a bed that you would roll out sleep on and then you would put away. So in many ways, this is just like in John's gospel when Jesus heals the man at Bethsaida and he heals him and he says, pick up your bed. He's going, yeah, put that away. You don't need that anymore. And he's going, look, Ananias, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. Get up and put that away. He's saying, get up and put your past behind you. Get up. You're not going to need that anymore. This idea of saying what once defined you, what once defined your existence is done. It's over. God's got something brand new in store for you. And I just wonder today if there's someone here that that's the message you came to hear today. You just came to hear today that when God comes into your life, when you have an encounter with the risen Jesus, that what happens in your life is you get up and you step into a brand new future, into a brand new calling, into a brand new existence. And you don't need that anymore because you're done with all of that. God's called you into something new. And immediately he rose, got up. He rose just like Peter said, rise and make your bed. And so he gets up, but then watch this. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. Because they saw it. They were eyewitnesses of what had happened. There was a miracle that took place and they witnessed the miracle and they came to faith. I just wonder today if you know that when God gets a hold of your life, when Jesus Christ moves in power in your life and things change, do you realize you are becoming the testimony of God's goodness? Do you realize that you are becoming someone else's first-hand picture of how God is real? 
When God moves in your life and suddenly there's transformation, what happens is the people in your life take notice. They see it with their eyes and they're going, you know, I've heard about this Jesus, but I saw what he did. And everything changes. So, Samaritans, Ethiopian eunuch, even Saul, even someone who's paralyzed. Wow, this... This gospel really is relentlessly expansive. It keeps going out. Now, so we've got Samaritans, Ethiopian eunuchs, Saul. We've got people who are paralyzed. Huh. If we were in the first century, what other marginalized people group, what other people group would we look at? And we would think, well, you know, they can never really have relationship with God. They can never really be all that God has called them to be. I wonder where the story is going next. Now, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha. Now, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha in the New Testament. In the New Testament, this is the lone place where a woman is specifically referred to as a disciple. Now, we know from the Gospels that women were amongst the disciples. We know that women were amongst the followers of Jesus. We know that women were amongst those who were following Jesus and caring for Jesus and carrying out the ministry of Jesus. We know that from the Gospels. But this is interesting because now the writer of Acts, Luke, he's making this point to call out that this woman is a disciple. Well, think about where we've been. Think about the movement of these last three chapters. There was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Now, we know because of how they carried about the practice here that she was a Jewish woman. Because there are Jewish burial practices that would have been observed, meaning that they would have washed her body And for the next three days before they buried her, that family would have sat with her, other widows would have sat with her. Essentially, you never leave the body alone during the period of time between you preparing it for, for death and ultimately burying it. So think about when Jesus dies on the cross and it's the women who were coming on the third day to come and prepare the body. They're coming to do the same thing. It's this idea of going, hey, before we finalize the burial, there's some things we're going to do to the body to prepare it for that. So they washed her body and they're there. And so it's this kind of three-day period that we're in right now. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. So they take him to where her body is. Now, this is what's amazing to me because this is what tells us that funeral practices in 2,000 years haven't really changed that much because when you go to someone... Now, there are funerals we all go to because it's the right thing to do, and then there are the funerals you go to because that person had such deep impact and meaning in your life. And when you go to a funeral of someone who had deep impact and meaning in your life... You stick around for a long time. There's the funeral, and then there's the graveside, and then you come back, and then you're hanging out with the family, and sometimes it can turn into multiple days of being together with family, and what do you do? You get around, and you tell stories. 
You talk about the incredible things that that person had done. And so Peter comes up to the upper room, and what do we see? All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. So essentially, she was someone who made clothes. And so what do they do? They're all hanging out going, yeah, she made this for me. Can you believe? Now, I don't make clothes or sew or any of that stuff, but you know, Zach is a quilter. Um, You wouldn't believe that, but it's true. Um, You know, and and one of the things, the the reason that Zach Keller, one of our worship pastors, one of our our Next Steps pastor, rather, um, one of the reasons that he knows how to quilt is because his mom is a quilter. And so um, when we had a a baby shower last weekend for um, baby Ellison, our, our daughter that we're expecting, we got these incredible gifts where Anita and Lisa had put these beautiful quilts together. And they'd stitched Ellison's name into this beautiful quilt. And so now it's kind of displayed in our home, waiting for a baby to be placed on it. But it's that same idea of the the things where you're going, look, look what she made. Look what she made for me. Look at the impact she had on my life. Look at how meaningful she was. And so it's this very human moment. There's nothing kind of special or miraculous happening here. This is just people mourning someone together. And they're just going, look, look at what she did. Look at what she made. There's something so beautiful about this moment. But Peter has been called not to listen to the stories of what Tabitha did. He's been called to come to this place not simply to hear the widow's show, tell the stories of, of, of garments that she's made for them or, or to show them the tunics and garments that she's made. He's been called there for a different purpose. So he does something kind of strange. But Peter put them all outside. Hey, ladies, I, I know you're going through it right now. I know this is a very human moment. I, I, I know you're mourning right now. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to get out of this room. Now, the reason they were there, of course, this is Jewish practice. The reason they were there is to be with the body as it was going to be prepared for burial. You never leave the body alone. And so Peter's there and Peter's going, you go. I'm going to stay with the body. Now, Peter was well known in the church But we don't know to what extent Peter had personal relationship with these women. And Peter comes in and is like, yes, I know you're mourning, but it's time to get out of here. And I just want to know, like from a pastoral perspective, I would not dare ever try this. If, If you want to get a bunch of women mad at you real quick, this is what you do. But yet, they, there's something they sense. There's something they get. They, they understand that that hold on, he, he came here for a different purpose. So Peter puts them all outside, and he knelt down and prayed. In turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. Now, it's one thing to say to a paralyzed man who's alive and laying down for the last eight years, get up and make your bed. He's talking to a dead woman now. Paralyzed man, dead woman. 
Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and the widows. Now, can you imagine being one of these women? Here you are. Your friend has just died. She means the world to you. You're sharing stories about who she is and what she's done. And this guy comes in and he has, ladies, ladies, I need you to leave me alone for a minute. And they leave the room. And I'm sure they're just outside of the room. And they're whispering to each other, who does he think he is? You know, immediately on the other side of the door, those women are like, I'll tell you, as soon as he opens that door, I'm going to give him, I'm, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. Look, I know he's one of the people who walked with Jesus, but you don't pull this kind of junk here. And when Peter comes out, he opens the door and he doesn't come out alone. He comes out with their friend who had died. Calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Now, if we go back, she's a disciple, which means she's a follower of Jesus. She's one we are to believe has eyewitness account of the resurrected Jesus. Because of the language that's used here, we believe that Luke understood her to be one of the roughly 500 people who saw the risen Jesus. They believe in the resurrection of Jesus. But still, no one expects the dead to rise. Even when we're willing to believe in the resurrection of Jesus, this seems a miracle too far. This seems too impossible. This seems just too way, way outside of what anyone would ever expect. But the dead are raised. And this woman, this early influencer and leader in the church, she's raised from the dead. And here's how we know it. It became known throughout all of Joppa, and many believed in the Lord, and he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Now that's going to take us where we're going next week. Because what we have found out in these last three weeks is that the gospel message has gone to the Samaritans, an Ethiopian eunuch, to Saul, to one paralyzed, to a dead woman. The gospel message is power. You see, at the end of Acts chapter 7, Stephen was stoned. He was killed. He was murdered. He was martyred outside of the city of Jerusalem. And when it happened, the church scattered. The church went in every possible direction, which is another way of saying the church expanded. 
church scattered. And then Samaritans, and then Ethiopian eunuchs, and then Saul of Tarsus, and then the lame, and women, and the dead. And as we're going to find out next week, even Gentiles. The gospel of the grace of Jesus tells us that grace will go further than you ever hoped and further than you ever thought it should. And over these three chapters of the book of Acts, what we see in every single story is this beautiful picture about how people went, well, God can't do that. God can't reach them. There's no way there's hope for that group of people. And what do we see time and time again? Samaritans, no problem for the grace of Jesus Christ. Ethiopian eunuchs, no problem for the grace of Jesus Christ. Saul of Tarsus, oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. The lame, women, and don't miss this. In the first century, you have to understand the, the place that women held in this place and time in history and how low their standing was in the Roman world. And what do we see in the gospel of Jesus? It's a gospel that goes, yeah, women too. The dead, yeah, even the dead will be raised. So the question becomes for us, if God can reach this far and this far and this far and this far, if the grace of Jesus keeps going further and further and further, well, in the first century, that meant, well, if the grace of Jesus can go that far, maybe the grace of Jesus can even reach Gentiles, people like us. But in the 21st century, it's not Gentiles. In the 21st century, you can think right now about who in your mind is too far outside of the reach. Right now, there's someone who comes to mind and you're going, yeah, God can reach anyone. God can reach Ethiopian eunuchs and dead women, but God can't reach my son-in-law. The gospel is relentlessly expansive. The gospel is relentlessly expansive. The gospel goes out and out and out and out and out and out and it does not stop. None of our barriers hinder the gospel. None of the obstacles that we imagine hinder the gospel. And nothing that we imagine as a disqualifier stops the grace of Jesus Christ from raising the dead to life. And the reason that we miss that so often is because we have gotten caught up in this false gospel. And the false gospel that we've gotten caught up in, it's not prosperity gospel, it's not something like that. The false gospel that we've all got caught up in is that Jesus came to take bad people and make them good. And so bad people for us become too far gone. They become outside of the reach of God as if somehow the level of your morality is what dictates your place 
with God. I want you to know Jesus did not come to take bad people and make them good. Jesus came to take dead people and make them alive. And every single one of us was dead apart from Jesus. And if we were dead apart from Jesus and we've been raised to life, if even the dead are raised, there is no one, there is no person you've ever met who is outside of the reach of a relentlessly expansive gospel. There is no person you've ever encountered who is outside of the reach of a relentlessly expansive gospel. So do we believe it? Do our lives look like people who believe that the gospel goes out and out and out and out and out and never stops? Are we the people who are crazy enough to believe not just in a Jesus who was raised from the dead, Are we people who are crazy enough to believe that every man, woman, child on the face of this earth is loved? Are we willing to put our faith in that? Because when Jesus died on the cross and his lifeless body was placed in the tomb, he announced that it is finished. The religious way of thinking, the morality of, of, of thinking that our standing with God is based on how good or bad we are, that, that glorified moralism, it's over, it's dead. The old religious way of thinking, that, that way of thinking that some people are too bad for God, that they're outside of the reach of God, that is finished, it is over. And when that group of women on Sunday morning went to go take care of the body and they found an empty tomb. He announced to every single person who will ever live, the dead are raised. That Jesus is alive. And if Jesus is alive, then you are loved. You are loved. You are loved. Right where you are, just as you are, you are fully, completely, and perfectly loved. And you are loved so much that the God who loves you right there would never leave you there. Jesus is alive. And Jesus is alive means that you and I are loved. But here's the crazy thing, the thing that's so impossible for us to believe. It means that every human being is loved. Your greatest enemy, the person who has hurt you and wounded you, they are loved. So why do we believe in crazy things? Why do we believe in impossible things? Why do we believe the dead are raised? Because God wants to birth in you a heart that might finally make peace and come to grips with the fact that the God who made you 
who knows everything you've ever done, who knows everything you've ever said and everything you've ever thought, the God who knows who you are, loves you. Would we have faith today to believe that we are loved? Because even the dead are raised.